Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. When Belle Robertson decided to give up drinking, she started a blog on her ninth day of sobriety. This is what she wrote, quote, I want to put this online to hold myself accountable. I want to document the noise in my head. I'm tired of thinking about drinking, end quote. That was seven and a half years ago, and since then, Belle Robertson has been sober pen pals with over 3,000 people. She spends a couple of hours every day emailing newly sober people through her 100-day challenge, which I found out came about quite by accident. Belle has created an anonymous space to support people in their sobriety, which also served a purpose for her as it keeps her accountable to her choice not to drink as well. You can get in touch with Belle Robertson by just emailing tiredofdrinking at gmail.com and on the podcast we unpack her last drink. Please enjoy Last Drinks with Belle Robertson. Belle Robertson, please tell me about your last drink. Really? You yes, want to know my last I do. drink? Well, I do. it was... Um, June 30th, after a month of travel, where I drank every day except for one in that month, I was ramping up for July 1st, for dry July. So I drank on June 30th because it was the day before dry July, not because I wanted to, not because I enjoyed it, but because you get into a place where you drink because you drink. And so I drank because it was June 30th. And so you came to doing Dry July for health reasons because you needed a reframe. What was the kind of motivation to get to that point in your drinking story? I I wanted to prove to myself that I didn't have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the whole I can't have one and stop, I would like to drink most days. I wasn't drinking huge quantities, but I found it basically impossible to skip a day. And I thought that that might be problematic, you know, as you do. And I had done all those questionnaires online, like, are you an alcoholic? And I was fairly sure I wasn't, but I couldn't skip a day. And I couldn't, um, I couldn't make a deal with myself to have one drink and then stop. So I thought, okay, well, you know, if I quit for a month, that's how I'll prove I don't have a problem. And I tried earlier that same year in March to quit for a month to prove that I didn't have a problem. And I got nine days. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, oh, actually, you know, this is harder than I thought, uh, which is sort of like in the back of my mind, oh, that's actually kind of a larger sign that there might actually be a problem. So then I drank for, you know, March, April, May, June, and then thought, oh, okay, fine. July 1st, 
it's dry July in Australia. I don't live in no. Australia. I wasn't doing the fundraising. It was just a date to hang my hat on. Uh, July 1st is Canada Day, which is sort of like July 4th in the uh-huh. United States. It's our celebration of you know, country birth dates, fireworks, hall, statutory holiday. And so, uh, and being good, a good Canadian, I thought, okay, Canada Day, that'll be my day one. Oh, Canada. <laughs> there we go. That was it. Exactly. And then, you know, so, you know, I could quit for a day and, and I could quit for two or three. And, and, and sometimes I had proven that I could quit for seven if I like held my breath and waited mm. And so we get, you know, seven, eight, nine days into July. And I realize again, at the same point, again, uh, this is way harder than I thought. And I'm not going to be able to make it through this month if I don't change something right okay. now. Okay. So can you talk to me about what your relationship with alcohol was like? What are the situations that you're drinking in to get you to the place in March of that year where you think, ooh, maybe this is not working for me? Well, there's alcohol overuse in my family. So I wasn't unfamiliar with the side effects. And of course, I thought, therefore, I was very responsible. But I knew that I drank more than I wanted to. And I think the quantities are less important. If I said I drank a bottle of wine a night, someone else might say, well, I drank three. And if I say I drank two glasses, you might say that you drank six. Mm -hmm. Um, The quantity is less important than the compulsion to do it every day and to find it difficult to skip a day. And so then what it means is that uh, it was in my head, like starting at five or six o'clock at night each evening. It was like, okay, well, is it time to have a drink now? And like I said, it wasn't that I was consuming such great quantities, but that it was every single day. And... So what that means then is that if it was a good day, you mm-hmm. would have a drink. And if it was a bad day, you'd have a drink. And if it was Sunday, you'd have a drink. And if it was Tuesday, you'd have a drink. And if it was a party, you'd have more drinks. And if it was a vacation, you'd start at noon Yeah, or earlier. Oh, I, you know, you, it's like you had an insight into my 2014 when you just explained that. And that is, I think, almost comforting for some people to realize that you can get to that point it seems normal, but there is a way out of that trap. But you've got to become aware of it first. But when you and I, like I quit a couple of years before you. Um, when I quit, there was really nothing. There was no Facebook groups. Um, there was no Instagram. We had blogs. You had to go to a blog to read it. Nothing arrived in your yeah. inbox. I started collecting emails early on and then did an email newsletter. No one else was doing that. I started to offer accountability to other people. Like, do you want to tell me what day you're on? And we'll like cheer for each other. Nobody was doing that. Um, it was AA or nothing, really. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't think that I needed AA. Now, I will just knock wood here and tell you that it's because once I got going, I didn't relapse. But had I found it harder to quit, even with more support, if I had repeatedly relapsed, then I would have had to go to AA because, you know, you, you sort of progress through a, st- a series of supports until you find what works mm. for you. And so people will say to me, but you never went to AA. And the answer is I didn't relapse. Had I relapsed after I quit yeah. and had I relapsed several times, I would have had to go to plan B and plan C and plan That's D. Right. And find out what worked for you. 
Well, and if you don't want to go to AA, that's fine. Then don't relapse. Mm. Yeah. Because then it's all, then you can just stick with whatever tools you're using because we'll say that that sure. works. But if the tools you're using aren't working, then we sort of have to be open to anything that'll work because any intervention support tool of any kind is better than being a drunk. Nine, t- ten years ago, there was no resourcing. There was no support. There were no communities. There was no tribe. They say find a tribe. There wasn't a tribe. So what did you create out of that sobriety journey in in July that really safeguarded your sobriety and kept you on that path? Well, for me, I needed accountability. And accountability can come to people in different ways, but I needed to be open to taking advice from people who are further along than me and much further along, like people when I was on day 10 who were on day 300 or 200 or three years or five years I needed to be able to take advice, which is very, very, very hard, Mm -hmm. especially when your head is telling you that everybody else drinks and I don't know anybody who's quit drinking and I'm not that bad and I'm not as bad as them and all that other nonsense. Um, Accountability for me meant knowing that somebody knew what day I was on and would know if I disappeared. Um, It turns out, though, as I went along in this sober journey, that it became very clear to me that we make most of the changes in our life with accountability. We learn to drive with a person sitting beside us. We go to law school and we have teachers and mentors and then we make study groups and we divide up the reading and we share it and we create a group of us that get us across Mm -hmm. the finish line. If you want to run a marathon, it is unlikely you'll just get up one day and run a marathon. You will follow a program that is written out by yeah. somebody, and you might even join a group, a free group or a paid group or a training group or the people who just run from your local running yeah. store every Wednesday night. You put yourself around people who have done it, who know how to do it. Well, in the world of mental health or addiction, to raise your hand and to say that you need help with it is very, very is. hard. So that we can do it online anonymously is shockingly good Mm -hmm. news because whereas you might go to the running group and be the slowest runner in the room and just take all the advice and be okay with it, it is much, much harder to go into your local alcohol service or to go to your GP or to go to an AA meeting and to ask for help. That's, That's a much higher barrier to entry. And it is easier to read online, to listen to podcasts online, all these things that now exist, reading and audios and mm. books and people and coaches and accountability groups. It's way easier now to sample the supply, the, the, the supports, and then it's also much easier to anonymously get ongoing accountability in a way that was not available to you and me. So when you started uh, your sobriety journey, you did you start just a blog just to kind of write down what was going on for you, you know, write out this experience in real time and what you were learning and what was challenging. Is that sort of how it started? Yes. And at the time there were maybe 15 or 20 regular sober bloggers and we all blogged on the same uh, WordPress platform. And it meant that it, it notified you if other people using the keyword sober were also publishing. And so you'd get a notice that somebody had posted something mm-hmm. and it was very internal. And so like I posted something on the first day, I think I was on day seven or nine 
when I said, I'm going to have to write something online anonymously to help myself because I'm not going to get through this. And by the morning, there was a comment already. And I found that really, really surprising because the internet seems like a really large place. And I didn't understand the whole interlinking of the WordPress blogs. I didn't really get it. But I can tell you, I did get the uh, significance of a comment. I understood that having one random anonymous stranger say, uh, let us know how you did this morning. Tell us how you're doing. Uh, I'm like you. I was like you, but I'm 30 days further along. Um, it was surprisingly encouraged. I mean, surprisingly encouraging. Yeah, in that moment, you felt heard. Oh, yeah. And I have to tell you also that in my life, um, I am often a teacher coach type. Mm-hmm. And so at the beginning of my sobriety journey, I had to be open to advice and not be yeah, the coach. Yeah, that's hard. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but anonymously online was like a place where I didn't have to pretend that I had it together and where I could actually share the honest truth of all of the distorted thinking and the mistakes and the regret and then the plan that doesn't quite go as you expect and the disappointment and for me, it felt like the, honestly, the only place in my life where I could actually tell the truth. And what I didn't realize with that was that that would be helpful to anybody else, because I can assure you in the beginning, I wasn't trying to help anybody and I couldn't have, and I would have had nothing to offer. I was trying to save myself. Yeah. And I wrote daily for 60 days. I made a deal with myself. I would write every day, no matter what, even if I thought it was stupid. Mm. And then I wrote really for the better part of a year. And then I started daily emailing people as well. But then people started to email me. And so I did, it's not like every day I had to have something genius to say. After a while, I could share what uh, somebody else had to say that was genius. And it didn't, you know, it didn't all get generated by me. Your story is really unique, Belle, in that it's like the opposite of social media. Your sobriety tool is the opposite of what a lot of people do. So a lot of people are on social media and they spruik this certain life and certain language about their life that is not real. It's just the facade. It's the highlights. It's the special occasions. It's the fabulousness. And deep down there could be, you know, something further from the truth. And what you've done is you've just taken all of that away, all of the expectation that your life is fancy, free and fabulous, and you've just been real with yourself. And you're like, I'm just going to be honest and keep it low-key and anonymous and have no pressure, no expectation. And it's in those moments that you truly can see yourself because you don't have to keep up appearances because you're not comparing your sobriety to anybody else's. You're just doing it. So you become accountable to your own truth, which is the highest level of accountability. And I, I find that such an amazing thing that you discovered. Yeah. And I would say that I discovered it by accident though. It's like, it's, it's not like I set out to write to discover myself and it's not like I set out to do anything. I knew I wasn't going to make it. And I knew that if I couldn't make it two months, uh, not continuous months, but two separate months in a year where I tried to quit for a month to prove I didn't have a problem, I knew that if I couldn't make it the second time, then it meant I had a problem. Mm. And so I knew that I was stuck having to open myself up to accountability or, like you said, just even expressing to myself what my issues were. And 
I had no idea, no zero idea that that was useful to anybody else. Um, and very humbling then to have the unvarnished truth in a, in a forum where you're not holding back. And I have a lot of very harsh language. I'm a big swear. I love that, by the way. Your blogs are so refreshing. Belle, oh my God, there's no sugarcoating. You're just calling bullshit for bullshit and I love it. <laughs> and I just decided that if I couldn't be me, I wasn't going to yeah. do it, right? And so it meant that if people were turned off by my language, then okay, well, I can't help it. Um, but I wasn't going to change for you because I wasn't doing this for you. I was doing this for me. And it, I didn't know then that I was modeling things about boundaries or about determination or I didn't know any of that until somebody would feed it back to me. So when you have readers, they will email you and say, that thing you said helped me because, and I'd be like, oh shit, are you kidding? <laughs> That's helpful to you? When I talk through how I made out, made the decision and what the thought process was, like I'm trying to work it out for myself. I didn't know, I didn't really know about modeling mental health things. I mean, it's not my job. It's not my career. I'm not, I don't have a degree in psychology and I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a doctor. I had to rely on my readers to tell me what was helpful. Mm. And the, of course, the more readers you get, the more helpful they are, the more they tell you what you're doing, then the more of that, more of that good thing you can do because someone else can articulate. Like you just articulated that I figured it out mm. for me, which then modeled, you know, which then showed other people. You might not be a psychologist, but you're a human being and what makes us human is our experience of emotions, our ability to be honest with ourselves and that lived experience, being brave in it is so scary for so many people that you were brave enough to be honest and go, this ain't working. And I didn't feel brave either. I felt compelled because I was going to yeah. fail. I felt yeah. desperate. People are like, you're so brave to share. And it's like, no, no, I was going to fail mm. otherwise. So I had to move to the thing that I was sure I would never yeah. do, which was anonymously. And I think this is what. It was desperation, I yeah, said. Yeah, and look, desperation moves people in magical ways. <laughs> you know, um, the the thought of sometimes. I've spoken to many people on this podcast now and uh, one running theme when we talk about, you know, what stopped you from taking another drink? What was the the line in the sand, the catalyst moment? And for a lot of people it is the thought of continuing was less appealing than the fear of stopping. You know what I'm saying? It's like I could, I couldn't, I can't do this anymore and even though not doing this terrifies me. The continuation of it is more terrifying. It's like which which of the two paths are you going to go down? They're both scary at that point when alcohol has crept into every day of your life and it's robbing you of hours of time, beautiful memories. You know, it's robbing you of the very essence of what the fabric of life is about. <laughs> stopping that can be scary for some people, for most people, which is why people don't. But then we're hardwired for connection. So, of course, your words, as potty mouths as they are, they're real and they're going to hit home in somebody's heart. And that's what I love about this, that it's so organic and genuine. It's you 
being honest and figuring out you and that has helped other people. That is so beautiful. Well, it's very, very, very unusual. Like to be fair, there were no sober coaches when I started this. And so after I'm eight and a half months sober and there's some girl blogging, but repeatedly relapsing and Mm. At the time, people would um, close their blog and then reopen it with a new name, or they would just change their screen name. And so there was a lot of coming and going, but there was this one girl who just struggled Mm -hmm. repeatedly uh, with the same name, with the same situation, with no movement, Mm -hmm. uh, fixated on trying to quit forever and knowing that she had a pretty serious issue and she couldn't get any traction. And I don't know what compelled me to message her directly, not even to post a comment on her blog for public consumption Mm -hmm. and say to her, have you thought of trying to quit for shorter period of time first and then extend it? Like, and because, because I'd quit for 30 days. That was my original. Um, but I said to her a hundred because, you know, in AA, they say 90 meetings in 90 days. And I thought a hundred for good measure. It's a nice round number. I said to her, maybe you would find it easier to quit for a hundred days than to try to quit forever Mm. because quitting forever means I'll just drink one more day, then I'll quit forever instead of I'll do a hundred days and treat it as an experiment and see how it goes and then decide. And she then like wrote on her blog, I'm doing Belle's hundred day sober challenge. And I'm like, like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) It's not mine. But the strangest thing happened after that was that of the 15 or 20 of us that were blogging, there were probably another 15 in and out, but 15 of us relatively continuously. Mm. I got an email from a stranger who had never posted, never commented on someone's blog, wasn't blogging themselves, was what we would now call a lurker. But I didn't know they existed. Mm. Some stranger emailed me and said, can I do your 100-day challenge? I'm like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> because like, I don't know who you are. You've come out of nowhere. I'm getting up like, you're not a regular person. You don't blog. You don't comment on my website. Like what? Spitfire was number three. And I'm like, wait, like, who are you? Hmm. And then I realized, of course, it didn't occur to me. There were hundreds of people reading. They were not brave enough to even comment. They certainly weren't blogging themselves, but they also weren't brave enough to comment. It's such a tender, personal, and in in many ways for a lot of people, shameful position to be in where you're like, oh, I'm thinking about going sober. That means I have a problem or an issue with my relationship with alcohol. It's so, especially in the way our culture is all about drinking, everything's geared towards drinking and drinking being the norm, sitting on the edges of sobriety makes you just by association a weirdo. And so, of course, people are lurking, going, is somebody else doing this? Is this, can I feel this way? Can I ask these questions? Can I do this thing? And as, of course, as it turns out, you can uh, and you do. Um, But I then, you know, had 15, 20, 30, 50, 100 people who wanted to do this, quote, 100 day sober challenge with me. And people would come and Mm. go. It wasn't like 15 people signed up and all 15 were continuously sober all the way through. But from what must have been March of 2013 until November of 2015, I worked with 2,100 people. Wow. So when I say that I wasn't a counselor, 
I, I don't have a life coach certificate. I, but I also didn't just show up and say, hi, I'm a sober coach. I'm on day 200. Yeah. We're not having worked with anybody. I worked with 2,100 people. But again, same thing we were just talking about. The reason I worked with 2,100 people was that I would suggest something to David and then David would say, well, that's very interesting. And then the next time I talked to Denise, she'd say something and I'd say, well, David said mm. this. And I would pass back and forth the shared knowledge. And then I would collect it. And then I would see patterns. And then I would meet, you know, Donna for the first time. And I would say to her, well, that sounds like what uh, Denise and David went through. seems like everybody's name begins with D. <laughs> That's fine. And then, you know, then to I'm looking at just on my screen here and then there's Tony and then Tony says, and it's like, okay, well, that's quite similar. And I could start to see patterns and I could see what was more likely to work. And I could see for the people who like relapse right away when they first sign up versus get to 40, 50 days and then relapse. I could start to see patterns in all of that. And then they told me, the 2100, told me how useful it was to have a person that you could email anonymously and have accountability. Again, I didn't know that that was that useful. I didn't, no one else was doing it. So I didn't know, like if no one else was doing it and I'm the only one doing it, then it must be because it doesn't work or it's not meaningful. I had to be told. I love the term shared knowledge. That's uh, I haven't really heard that term before, but that really is what um, these conversations create and, and platforms like yours create is space to share the knowledge of the journey of sobriety because it is different for people because people come to sobriety in their own unique way. It's as unique as your fingerprint and your sobriety story is unique as well, but there are patterns, there are levelers, there are, you know, certain milestones that you will hit in your sobriety that other people can relate to. So I love the idea, and this is something that I haven't really thought about, and, and thank you for letting my brain go in this direction, but this is a collective. This is that shared space which is safe, and it's a collective and a collection of useful information of useful tools of understanding patterns of behavior to help each other on the journey. What a beautiful thing to discover accidentally, Belle. Well, and I want to say too, though, it is not a fire hose. It is not simply a collection of useful pieces of information with no filter because that would be overwhelming and wouldn't be useful yeah. either. What happens when you work with somebody one-on-one -on -one is that and when you email every day, like, which is what I do now with, with mm -hmm. coaching is we do micro adjustments. So I don't talk to you about the pattern of X, Y, or Z, unless you're going through that right, right. now. And we don't talk about drinking dreams unless you say you've had one. Yeah. And so it is, it's in real time because the, you know, the right information at the wrong time is the wrong information. Absolutely. It's overwhelming. Yes. Right. So on day 30, you can't hear about what happens on day no. 300. You got to get through today and your mother-in-law and the dog threw up on the yes. carpet. Like you have to deal with these things. And so I call it now micro adjustments, which means that in real time on a daily basis, we can make tiny, tiny, tiny adjustments to your thinking, to your response. Why don't you add in a, a 4 p.m. protein snack to see if that helps with the mood swing at 5.30? Then the next day you report in. Or in a normal counseling environment, you might see them every two mm. weeks. You get a bunch of information. You have to go home and implement it on your own. And then come back or not and say that it worked or it didn't. And most of the time we lie because it's very hard to do things 
without account, without daily account. I mean, I had a coaching call with somebody today where at the end of it, she was in a pretty difficult space Mm -hmm. and she was quite distressed. And I said to her, look, I have to go to my next Mm -hmm. call, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to eat something. I want you to contact three people and let them know that you need somebody to talk to. And I want you to email me in the next two hours. And she did all of it. But you can't just, you know, uh, check in with somebody once every two weeks. Like I needed to know that she reached out and she ate something like because she was, because she was upset enough that she wasn't eating and that's not going to help anybody's mood or blood sugar or stability. And that really is the true essence of going on the journey, you know, and, and the idea of hand holding, you know, like we all need someone to hold. It's like, it works for kindergarten kids when they're learning to cross the road, right? Hold someone's hand, do it together and you get across safely. And I feel that when you've got somebody who is, yes, being that tough love accountability person, but also coming at you with compassion and empathy and, and hand holding, you know, out of a space of love, that also is as important. And so what you, what you have created, Belle, I'm just, this is why I wanted to talk to you. I'm so fascinated by, and, and from the other side of the world, so proud that this exists for people because it works for people. Not everyone needs this, you know, anonymous kind of level of engagement, but there are a ton of people for which it works for. And so that is amazing. I love it when something is born out of somebody else's sobriety. I love that so much. And that's exactly what this is. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And I think though, there are lots of people who, who are um, not anonymous and do just fine Mm. and find their tribe and find their supports. And I think there are lots of us who, for whom we don't want sobriety to be how we've defined ourselves. It's a thing that we did so that we could then get back to our regular life. And so like, I don't want to be the poster child for sobriety. Um, I don't mind helping people do this because it helps me stay sober as well. Um, but I, like, I, I don't need a TV show, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I don't want it. I don't want it to be for me. I don't want it to be who I am, but you know what? This is a really good parallel to this where, you know, that if a woman has breast cancer, she might then wear pink, be on a board, fundraise, be vocal, be present and do fantastic things. And she might also not tell anybody, recover and go back to her job as a psychiatrist. And neither one is the right way. And so where there is perhaps now more of the vocal sobriety out and proud kind of uh, activities, I think there's still a space for people who want to do it in a more private way. And speaking of psychiatrists, I mean, if you are a psychiatrist, it's very difficult to raise your hand to your colleagues and tell them that you need accountability. And if you're a pilot and if, you know, I work with lots of doctors and professionals and also work with like a mom with four kids where she can't go to a meeting and she can't tell anybody or she's newly separated and doesn't want her ex to know or whatever. Like there's a hundred reasons why somebody might want anonymous support, even now when it's more socially acceptable to be sober. And that's the only story that you need to really worry about narrating is your story. What works for you, how you can live your best life, show up as your best self. 
figure out what works for you and do what works for you. Whatever's not working for you isn't working for you. And that's okay when you figure it out. Do what works. Yeah. Well, for sure, it helps me to be sober too. And that has to be part of it because otherwise it would seem like a job, right? And if it seems like a job, this isn't the kind of work that you can do if you don't feel it. You can't really deal with people and mental health and empathic things unless you actually feel it, you know? Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.